friends. Recently, a website, a psychology website called BetterHelp defined a sense of entitlement disorder. It said, a sense of entitlement is a person's belief that they deserve privileges of recognition for things they did not earn. People experiencing this sense of entitlement believe the world owes them something in exchange for nothing. Here are some examples of a sense of entitlement. It's the person who cuts you off in traffic. It's the person who shows up at a busy restaurant without a reservation and then demands that he is seated before you. It's the person who never says please or thank you. People with a sense of entitlement think that the rules apply to you but not to them. Now, from time to time, sadly, we have all been guilty of such negative actions and attitudes. We have all been rude and selfish and pushy. And whether it's you, I, or someone else, whenever somebody has a sense of entitlement, it usually ruins a relationship. But the real trouble comes when a sense of spiritual entitlement ruins our relationship with God. A sense of spiritual entitlement says, God loves me more than he loves other people. God loves me more than he loves like atheists or Buddhists or Muslims or Jews. And yes, God especially loves me more than, oh, you know, Catholics or Baptists or Presbyterians or any Lutheran who is not Wisconsin Synod. And since I'm God's favorite, God is always extra patient with me. Sure, I know sometimes I get lazy and I skip church, but hey, it's okay. It's all good. God still loves me. And sure, no, I, I don't always put 100% and rarely even 50% effort into battling my sinful habits, but no worries. God still loves me. Well, yes, God loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God loves the whole world. God loves atheists and Muslims and Catholics and Baptists and liberal Lutherans. God loves all of them with the same love just as much as He loves you. So there is no room in our hearts and our minds for a sense of spiritual entitlement. And that brings us to our text. It says, a Canaanite woman kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. A demon is severely tormenting my daughter. His disciples pleaded with Jesus, Send her away, because she keeps crying out. Now, the disciples were typical Jews, and a typical Jew looked down on anybody who was not a Jew. So, a foreign woman from a pagan country, in their eyes, was certainly not entitled to any blessing from Jesus. So the disciples basically tell Jesus, ah, oh, Jesus, this woman is so annoying. Just give her what, he want, what she wants, send her away, and then finally that'll shut her up. 
Now, why did the disciples tell Jesus to give her what she wanted? Well, it was because Jesus did not answer her a word when she kept crying out for help. Now, this silence was strange behavior for Jesus. Normally, Jesus would always grant a request for healing and help. But here's the real shocker. After the disciples spoke to Jesus, he answered the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt in front of him, saying, Lord, help me. Jesus answered her, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to their little dogs. Basically, Jesus was saying, Too bad, lady. I only help Israelites, and you're a lowly, filthy Canaanite dog. You should stay outside the house of Israel, just like a dog should stay outside of the master's house. So you are not entitled to get any blessings from me. Oh, to such a racial slur, Jesus would be banned for life from Facebook. I mean, the woke crowd would rise up and, and cancel Jesus now and forever. But Jesus was not a racist. He loved that woman. He cared for her. And what he was doing in his love was testing her faith. And she passed that test with flying colors. Our text says, Yes, Lord, she said, yet their little dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In essence, this woman was saying, Lord, you are right. I am a Canaanite dog. I am not entitled to any of the blessings that God promised to give His chosen people, Israel. But Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Just let me feast on a little crumb of Your mercy. I know that just a tiny bit of Your love and a small spark of Your power, Jesus, I know that that's enough to drive the demon out of my daughter. Yes, Lord, I know I don't even deserve that little bit of a table scrap of a blessing, but Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And to that, Jesus had only one answer. Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. So why did Jesus call this woman's faith great? It was humble. No sense of entitlement lived in her heart. No hint of privilege passed over her lips. Instead, she knew her place before God. She accepted her unworthiness before God. And that humility makes faith great. But that's a contradiction, isn't it? Humility and greatness are opposites. Well, they're opposites in normal life, but not in God's kingdom. And concerning the, the juncture of humility and greatness, Jesus once said, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be your slave. The last will be first and the first last. So, do you, do you want a great faith? Well, of course you do. But here's the paradox. Here's the contradiction. To have a great faith, you must realize 
that your faith is not great at all. You have to confess, Lord, out of your great mercy, you blessed me with your gift of saving faith. Without my thinking and choosing or even asking for it, Lord, you blessed me with saving faith. But Lord, I must confess also that I never fully appreciate your gift of faith the way I should. I've abused my faith with a sense of entitlement. I've damaged my faith with things like racism, self-righteousness, and a frigid heart towards anybody who's in need. Oh, I, I tell myself that, hey, my faith is A-OK. -okay. But in reality, I know that my faith is, is hanging by a thread and it's on spiritual life support. And yes, Lord, I know that you're always attempting to strengthen my faith with your, your good news of your salvation. But so often, Lord, I turn away from your gospel. I starve my faith of your gospel with ears that have been deafened by the din of this world's call to self-indulgence. I starve my faith of your gospel with a brain anesthetized by indifference and laziness. I starve my faith of your gospel with a frozen heart made numb by self-satisfaction. And so, Lord, I fully acknowledge that you owe me nothing you owe me nothing except anger and punishment forever. Lord, because of that, even if you just forgave only one, if you only forgave just one of my countless sins, that one speck of forgiveness is far more than I am entitled to. And Lord, if you gave me just one minute in heaven and then sent me to my eternal damnation as I deserve, I confess that that one minute of heaven would be far more than I, a filthy mongrel of a sinner, far more than I could ever hope or dream of having. That is a humble faith speaking. But why is a humble faith so necessary and essential? Well, a humble faith puts its full confidence in a humble Savior. Now, by His nature, Jesus Christ is greater than all creation. Jesus Christ is, as we confessed in the Nicene Creed, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. But still, even though that's all true, though He was by nature God, He did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed. But He emptied Himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why humble faith is a great faith. A humble faith clutches, clings to, and seizes hold of a great Savior. This Savior humbled himself to the point of a shameful death on the cross. Yes, God's one and only Son lowered Himself so low so that He could exalt us and lift us up to glory. Jesus lifts us up from the pit of our wretched sin and brings us to the heights of everlasting splendor in the resurrection. Jesus Christ drives out the demons of guilt and shame and, 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 and spiritual smut. He drives it out completely from our souls. 
His holy precious blood makes us a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle, but holy and blameless. That's what faith does. It saves us. Faith saves us because faith is only and all about Jesus. Jesus is the one and only reason for our faith. Jesus is the one and only reason that a humble faith is a great faith. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.